Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Episode number 67, MoFoco. MoFoco is based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, run by Roy Henning, and these guys have been producing cylinder heads for the past 20 plus years. His dad started the business 40 years ago, and they've been a staple in the VW community in the Midwest. On today's podcast, we get Roy Henning, owner and operator and the guy that took it over from his dad, we talked to him in depth about their cylinder heads, what the difference is, and some other things that they do that I think you'll find quite interesting. Also, a connection to Americana, the heads that they sell were also helped with engineering by a very famous motorcycle manufacturer. So good podcast, great history, and good information. And you might find some things that you didn't know that you can still buy today for your Volkswagen engine. So stay tuned. I want to remind you guys to go and review the podcast. Go to your Apple app, click on the details scroll down to the bottom and hit review the app and give us five stars give us five stars we'll get you a shot out on the podcast next week um, giving us five stars allows other people that are in the podcast to find this podcast easily and vw people to come upon it a lot easier so don't forget five star review uh you can also like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel as you'll be seeing a lot more content coming on YouTube right now. We've got a few hours of content on there. I'm going to release a few of the podcasts that we've done on there that were previous podcasts that I've got in video form. Also, if you guys want to support the podcast, make sure you go to letstalkdubs.com, click store and pick up some merch to support the podcast. Shout out to all those that are taking care of people during this time with the lockdown, all my people in the uh, essential workers medical police firefighters shout out to you guys for doing the extra hard work and being out there in the line of fire for this thing so stay safe while you guys are out there also as you heard on the last podcast project 67 let's talk dubs bug is in the house so we'll be uh getting some content up on youtube quickly with this bug some initial inspections some teardown stuff and some just good walk around and talk about on this car and it seems that the show season this year is on hold for right now so we'll have to wait to see what's going to pan out. But I still believe that our show in October from the 15th through the 18th here in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Orleans Hotel and Casino is going to be still going together. I'm optimistic this will be cleared up by then and we'll at least have one big rager to celebrate this year. Uh, we got plenty of people scheduled for the podcast. Lots of good content to come up. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll keep you guys definitely captivated throughout this time with some awesome history, some background, and some of the people that make things happen. So for now, let's get into episode 67 with Roy Henning from MoFoCo on Let's Talk Dubs. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW Motor Security Blanket. All right, everybody. Well, on today's podcast, I've got Roy Henning with MoFoco out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we're excited to have him on the podcast. He's he's one of the few people that actually manufactures VW quality parts here in the USA, and we're excited to hear all about that and all about everything that uh, MoFoco's got going on. So, uh, Roy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, so Roy, the way we always start this podcast is how you got into VWs and your VW story. And I know that you, you've taken the business over from your dad, but what is your VW story and how do you get into Volkswagens? Well, my VW story starts kind of with my first uh, memory that uh, 
I have in my brain from when I'm one years old and either I remember it or the story was told to me so many times that it was planted into my head. But uh, when my dad was building uh, his first building to house Mofoco about uh, eight years after he started it, uh, they took my hand and they stuck it in the concrete floor and they wrote Roy, uh, 6 of 78. And I remember them pulling my hand out and trying to shake the concrete off my hand and I didn't like to apparently get dirty when I was little, which is a far cry from what I do now. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I remember putting my hand in the concrete, which is still there, uh, 41 years later. You've now, you're, you were born into a VW family like your dad, and, and then you guys did a lot of imports and everything, but kind of walk me through that process of some of the history of, of MoFoco. Yeah, the, the 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 middle uh, middle length version of uh, where did Mofoco come from is that uh, my dad used to work on uh, Fords back in uh, back in the '60s, and he decided to start his own business. But he looked around the city of Milwaukee back in the late '60s and uh, wanted to make sure that he was going to have enough work to do. And what did you see on every street corner back in the late '60s was a bus and a Beetle and a Baja and a uh, convertible and uh, all those kinds of things. So Volkswagens were everywhere. So he started working on Volkswagens, started MoFoco out of his own garage in 68, and then finally moved into a building in 1970 and incorporated. And uh, we're doing, you know, standard uh, st- standard work, you know, brakes and uh, things like that, and then started doing engine rebuilds and then started buying equipment. And by the late 70s, when he bought his uh, first building and I was born, or built his first building, excuse me, and I was born, um, he had had a full shop and eventually had a gas station and a car wash and a six bay service department, um, and basically ran import parts, uh, through Milwaukee all around the country, because at that point there were, were not Napa's and auto zones and pep boys on every corner. Right. And so he was importing from Brazil and Spain and, um, you know, Mexico and on all different countries. And but still primarily working on the Volkswagens, but also, you know, was selling parts for all import cars. Um, so that rolled through the 80s uh, where he was pretty big. And like I said, we did deliveries, you know, up to like 400 miles away the same day um, to different shops and different, you know, wholesalers. Just selling and parts, then, import parts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we were delivering, you know, brakes and exhausts and, I mean, every single part you can think of for a car. The only thing that we didn't ever get into and never really did anything with was bodywork. Right. But other than that, all the hard parts to make the car go, that was what we did and sold and installed and things like that. Because a lot of people look at this and to, you know, eventually this goes into him casting cylinder heads, which we're going to get into in a little bit. And, and the, the question always is like, wow, man, how does somebody get the, the, the financial wherewithal to put that together? Because it's not a cheap undertaking to decide to cast your own parts. But it seems that the parts business was fairly successful bringing in the income to where he had the opportunity to take the chance and say, you know what, uh, and we're going to get into that story of, of why he decides to build his own heads. But th- that makes sense that, you know, if you're running a successful parts business, you'll have the, eventually the financial wherewithal to, to kind of get into trying to manufacture something on your own because it's, it's a big deal. And, and why did he start to what, – what inspired him to start making his own heads? Well, my dad was also a drag racer. 
um, throughout all this time, and he raced a top alcohol funny car, the ones that go from zero to 260 miles an hour in six and a half seconds. Wow. Um, so in addition to this, he funded his own uh, top alcohol funny car. And so the only only way to make enough money to do that back in the day was to actually be an importer and to import the, the parts because that was the hard part back in the day. Um, and then you were able to make enough money because just selling uh, Volkswagen parts, as any Volkswagen business now knows, uh, does not make you enough money to uh, have anything lavish and to expand and to whatever. Uh, most Volkswagen guys are, you know, do this because they love it. And it makes them enough money for a living, but no one becomes millionaires selling Volkswagen parts. Right. So in that middle 80s, um, you know, my dad was you know, obviously, uh, you know, racing his top alcohol funny car. And he he started racing, racing a Volkswagen Beetle before he ever raced a, an alcohol funny car. Um, so they did a lot of performance, you know, mods on those things. And we were building performance, uh, you know, motors and race motors and uh, street motors. But he liked to, you know really focus on street performance rather than drag race. Mm -hmm. um, and so as he was importing, he was importing things from Brazil. Um, he decided to start machining heads. And so we would, we would import the raw castings and then do all the machine work and the assembly and the finished stuff here. And as he did that, he figured out that, well, I want to make this improvement. I want to make this improvement. This isn't, you know, good. We can do this. We can do this. He was kind of transferring some of his race knowledge into the Volkswagen air-cooled cylinder head. Mm -hmm. So he went down to Sao Paulo, Brazil for a couple of weeks and visited, you know, Mali and visited all the different guys down there that were, you know, uh, cranking out Volkswagen parts back in the day and proposed all these changes to the cylinder head manufacturer. And they said, eh, you know, we're kind of, uh, you know, happy the way we are right now. Um, all that stuff's going to cost a bunch of money and we don't know if there's enough benefit. And so we're just going to stick the way we are. So he came back to the United States in the late 80s, uh, you know, after his trip and decided that I'm going to make my own cylinder head. And obviously, as you were alluding to earlier, that is quite the uh, financial and, um, you know, planning undertaking to actually make a cylinder head mold from scratch, especially for um, an air-cooled cylinder head because it's not like a, you know, water-cooled cylinder head. The most difficult part is the fins because those are the most important thing to try and cool the head. Right. So there are only a few other vehicle applications that have that, and one of them happens to be Harley-Davidson, which just happens to be made and founded in the town that we're sitting in the middle of, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hmm. So the nice thing was is that we contracted a uh, company out of Minneapolis, which is only five hours away, that could do all the design work for us. And uh, we were graciously afforded some uh, help from Harley-Davidson Corporate because they knew that in helping us that we weren't going to be competing with them at all and wouldn't be leaking any of their secrets. Um, so they kind of showed us the ropes on a few different things. Um, we got to go to their plants. We got to talk to their designers. Uh, to help us uh, improve the Volkswagen cylinder head um, in cooling, in flow, and strength. Um, we made all these different, uh, you know, upgraded changes to the head. So three years and uh, half a million dollars later, we had our own cylinder head mold. That's wild. I mean, and to think, that, and, and to, think to have access to the engineers at Harley-Davidson, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty helpful for guys that are doing this every day and they're seeing the downfall of like cheap, poorly cast heads, because now when 
in the it happens in any industry when you become the only game in town like brazil's the only one recasting heads it's kind of like yeah this is what we make we don't really care what you like like buy it or don't where are you gonna go it always seems that in the aftermarket world the quality of parts has been substandard to the quality that volkswagen originally built even if you're getting it out of another country on old vw equipment so um, I mean, that's, that's a pretty huge commitment to go into that. I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed. And, and time after time, I've said on my podcast that, in my opinion, Volkswagens are as American as apple pie. You know what I mean? Because it, Oh, it, absolutely. It, absolutely. The amount of Volkswagens that were imported into this country, I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, and I think – and one of the reasons that I say that is because the VW enthusiasts, so many of them have evolved into – making their career, their lifestyle, their hobby revolve around this car, you know, how they feed their family, how they, you know, what they do to produce something every day, and then to take it to the next level and actually manufacture something here in the USA, and then to be able to team up with Harley Davidson, that further, that further substantiates my, my statement that VWs are as American as apple pie, because I mean, I think, the technology of this. And, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring on the podcast. I've seen your ad year after year in hot VWs and things like that. And I always felt like, wow, you know, the name always caught my attention, MoFoco. And I was like, that's an interesting company name. And then the more I started looking at it and then I kept seeing made in the USA, made in the USA. And I said, man, I, I really want to talk to these guys and find out what's the benefit of doing that. And, and I mean, unbelievably you're in milwaukee wisconsin you're able to get the heads cast here in america like i don't know who else is doing that other than you would think that a head that you go through that process if you go to let's say big block race applications all those are billet heads and they're 10 times the cost of off-the-shelf heads the challenge that you have is you want to deliver a better quality material better quality head and you had to fit. We know within the Volkswagens, you didn't you didn't want to spend this money, and and go into selling ten sets. The, the 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 value of doing this was to be able to sell thousands of sets of heads, and replenish and give people an alternative for a higher quality product. Which is, it's a pretty big leap to take and and to bank on the VW industry and saying, you know, I believe the enthusiasts want a better product, you know. Yeah, and the way and the way this all came about with making the head kind of went, you know, full circle with, you know, my dad's, uh, you know, general, um, you know, philosophy was that in the beginning, you know, he didn't have anything. He had a garage and he bought, you know, one bridge port. And so he could, you know, fly cut some heads and do a couple things here and there. But as he was buying products from different places, he wasn't happy with the consistent quality. He wasn't happy with... Um, you know, the consistency basically of stuff that he could buy. And so slowly and slowly over the years, he kept buying and buying more machinery to where um, now I've got two crank grinders. I've got a cam grinder. I can resurface lifters. I've got a CNC turning center that resurfaces and lightens flywheels and makes Formula V flywheels out of the original Volkswagen stuff. Um, I've got two CNC machines that bore out cases, clearance cases for stroker motors, uh, drills and taps for the inserts. I've got two more CNC machines that machine the raw head castings. I got five bridge ports. I've got uh, a head surfacer for even modern heads. 
Um, and I've got every single piece of equipment to, you know, build and do valve jobs on the brand new heads that we make. And from, and I've also got a stunning machine to uh, rebuild uh, connecting rods. Um, it's just, it's just unbelievable how much equipment I have under one building and talking to a couple of the guys from the bigger magazines over the last couple of years, they had told me that we are the only place in the entire country that has the amount of machinery uh, dedicated to Volkswagen engine rebuilding all under one roof. We're the only place. Um, not that we're the only place that does any of this stuff, but you know, there's one place that just grinds cranks. There's one place that just does this. Sure. Um, but we have it all under one roof. And my dad's philosophy was, I want all the quality control under my control because we're going to grind the crank, we're going to rebuild the rods, we're going to make the heads, and then we're going to build the motor. And we're going to know right away if any of our stuff doesn't work because we're building the engine right here. Sure. And so it's the ultimate quality control. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can always subcontract it out, maybe save a few bucks and just middleman it and make some money, but the challenge then becomes the control. And control is key when your name is going on the product or you've got to stand behind a motor and warranty it, you know? Yeah. And, and over the years, I mean, even though I was younger back in the day, I mean, I remember, you know, my dad having big orders for places and, uh, you know, them having a falling out here and there because of some quality issues. And nine out of 10 times it ended up being something that we didn't make that ended up causing a problem. And then it changed my whole dad's philosophy and said, you know what, we're not going to ever have this happen again. I'm going to spend all the money I have to spend and I'm going to put this piece of machinery under my roof so that I can be in control so that, you know, we're never going to have a problem with this, you know, product, whatever it happens to be, um, that when we're building a motor, we're not going to, you know, have any upset customers. No, absolutely. Um, so it's pretty crazy how, how that all evolved. Um, and the other thing that we did, um, back in the early nineties was that my dad decided he wanted to make hydraulic lifters for air cool Volkswagen. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Talk, talk to me about the hydraulic lifters because VW did it later in the type four motors and they did it also in the Mexican engines. I had a Mexican bug for a while. And the only drawback that I had was if the car sits for a long period of time, you'll get lifter clack in the beginning and you've got to yep. drive the motor for a little while until you get until it gets the the oil pumped up back in it. But talk to me about the process he had to go through in in creating the hydraulic lifters. So obviously the the Type Four lifters, um, you know, were were just the you know same type of uh, lifter as the solids. They slid right in there. No machine required. The Mexican hydraulic lifters are closer to a Ford style lifter um, than they are the Volkswagen lifter. And then there was another aftermarket company on the West Coast that made hydraulic lifter motors, and they also used the Ford lifters, and they would machine the cases. Well, my dad said, you know what? I don't want it, people to have to machine the cases. I don't want the case to be a hydraulic-only case. I want people to be able to take this, buy a hydraulic motor, and if they want to change this thing over someday, be able to just take the lifters out, put another lifter in, and be on their way. Right. So we actually take original, not original Volkswagen lifters, but uh, uh, Volkswagen-style lifters, yeah. and we machine them and make um, a hydraulic lifter. So on the outside, it looks like a solid lifter, but on the inside, it's got the hydraulic part. And we're the only company in the entire world that can do that. Um, a few other companies tried to copy us back in the 90s, and they ended up having to recall all their lifters and then told the whole Volkswagen world that hydraulic lifters don't work. And the reason why is because these cannot be factory made in any way, shape, or form. 
they we make them one at a time and you have to you have to do some of the finished machine work by hand and you, each part has to be uh matched exactly to the lifter because if the uh, the clearances are off the lifter won't pump up or the lifter will bleed down too quickly right and it won't work so it's uh it's quite the process but i've sold you know, like tens of thousands of these things over the last 25 years along with building you know thousands of motors with them and the one thing like you alluded to earlier they still do have you know that quote unquote problem where they're they're really made for true daily drivers right um so if you let the thing sit for two months it's going to clack when you when you when you start it up you know right away but if you're a guy that's driving your car, you know, it's a working back every day, there's nothing better because you never have to adjust the valves. Is the running of the motor quieter too? Yeah, it's 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 noticeably quieter. And it's so noticeably quieter that you can hear other engine noises that you normally wouldn't hear because of the lifters and because of the valve train. And it makes you think that there's almost something wrong with your motor because you hear other internal noises that get drowned out by the by the you know valve noise in a regular motor. So when you go to a hydraulic lifter, do you go to a zero lash, like zero? We actually go zero lash and in one and a half turns. Oh, really? So it's actually a little bit of tension on it. Yeah, that's cool. So you set them. You basically set them one time. They don't come out of adjustment typically after that. And right, right. I mean, sometimes at, you know, 40,000 miles, you know, 50,000 miles, you know, you just check the adjustment because things do wear in eventually. But uh, but as a general rule, it's not like every 3,000 you got to get under there and adjust your valves. And especially for, you know, the older crowd of, uh, of Volkswagen guys, they're just like, you know, I can do it, but I'm too tired to get under the car every couple thousand miles. Now, can you do it now? Can you do them on radical lift cams, too? Do they work the same on radical lifts? Yeah, there, there, there is a limit. Um, I did a lot of dyno testing over the last couple of years, and there is a limit to how far the, the hydraulic lifters can go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Angle, um, which is also in line with our Made in the USA stuff. Um, Angle grinds us uh, the popular 100, 110, and 120 grinds in a hydraulic grind. Now, what's the difference with a hydraulic grind versus a, a regular can? So. To clarify, someone who's rebuilding a motor, they can't really take and put a set of hydraulic lifters with a different cam. The cam's got to be made to work with the hydraulic lifters. Is that correct? Correct. And and, and the difference is basically uh, the ramps are gentler sloped and more oval shaped than a solid lifter cam because that tends to snap the lifter back too quick. So it's got to be a little bit uh, gentler of a slope. Um, so it's but a, the lift and the duration is still the same, right? But it's just it's just the transition between the lift and duration is is not as sharp and more gradual to keep keep that lifter connected. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So, so someone wants a complete like someone says, I like this podcast. Uh, I'm calling up and I'm going to order Ingle uh, 120 cam because I'm building a turbo motor. So where I can't where where I'm not going to put it in RPM, I'm going to put it in boost. So I can keep a low cam profile, like a 120, which is a good cam for a street turbo motor, but they're going to turbo it. You don't have any issues with that. Do you have issues with that kind of stuff, like turbo stuff? No, and that's actually really funny that you brought up that specific example because about a half an hour ago before I got on with you, I was talking to a guy that bought a 1776 Project Streetwise motor from us back in 2004, Mm -hmm. slapped a turbo on it, and uh, ran the thing until like two weeks ago 
with hydraulic lifters, our 042 heads, it lasted, and we didn't build the motor specifically for a turbo. Normally, I do extra things to, you know, increase strength on some things, mm-hmm. but he just decided to slap a turbo on it, drove it for, you know, 14, 15 years with no problems, finally uh, split one of the cylinders and uh, messed up the heads, and so he called me up, and he goes, yeah, can I get, you know, he wanted to actually order performance cam for the hydraulic lifters and another set of piston and cylinders and another set of heads and so basically my questions to him was that basically you, you want to make sure you keep the rpms below 5500 with the hydraulic lifters because after that the lifters inside almost floats a little bit like sure. like valve float but you yeah. get lifter float so that um, and, and that makes sense and and i think you know because you're always going to have vw people that want to argue it back and forth like yeah that's well that's why you don't use it but a lot of people think the only way to build performance is to go they have to get radical cams they've got to get crazy stuff and we know that your key components for for performance in a volkswagen are heads camshaft and carburation and like all of that working together will give you the best power i mean i was talking my brother and i were talking the other day and i i had a 1904 that i had built with a friend of mine years back and that that thing had seven 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 to one compression and it ran full street car wheel adapters like stereo system everything the thing ran 14 o's in the quarter and it was 7-1 compression on 40 on 40s and people mm-hmm. and, it, and it was just everything was tuned right you know what i mean and, and it's like you know so i think people got to get out of this concept of because everybody wants, I think, and it's got to be frustrating for you because as an engine builder, people call you up and say, yeah, I'm just looking for 300 horsepower daily driver, which is not, those aren't, it's not realistic stuff. And and everybody thinks yeah. 300's the number when realistically, you know, 175 horsepower is a ton of horsepower on the street in a car that weighs 1,800 pounds. Well, yeah, yeah that, uh, that, that definitely brings me to, uh, you know, a, the number one uh, mistake people make across all genres of cars, which is over camming every motor because they get sold by race car guys into having these high lift, high duration cams. Uh, but the other thing, and you touched on it, that people like to transfer their current knowledge of American racing cars, um, to Volkswagens and not understanding the horsepower to weight ratio. Um, but also more to that fact is that people really get stuck on horsepower, not understanding the difference between horsepower and torque and what you really want for a street car. Right. And torque really. And because, that's why, and that's why I looked at this cam kit and thought this cam kit would be perfect for a turbo street motor because turbo motors, you don't need to ramp, ramp up to 7,000 RPM. They're bottom end, they're right. torque motors. You're feeling all that power from like 2,000 RPM to 4,800 RPM. And it's like, it's a crazy pull. You know what I mean? And it, and the reality is, I think if they're designed properly, they'll last longer because if you're just, when, when, you, when you get over the, the, the giddy up factor and stop stomping the pedal every time you go everywhere and now you start driving the car, you're really not going to be in boost that much. And when you are, it's a good feeling. It's smooth, linear performance if it's built right, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really all in the combo and I've been working hard on my own. Uh, I'm trying to build my, my latest goal over the last couple of years was to build the ultimate street engine with more torque than you could possibly imagine because everybody says, and actually the magic number that people always ask me about is 200 horse. 
And I'm like, you really don't need 200 horse because as soon as you hit 200 horse, you need things like, you know, billet race parts and you need breather systems and you need, you know, upgraded transmission and upgraded suspension and upgraded brakes and get to upgrade your whole car. And a lot of people don't have the money to upgrade their whole car, uh, much less, you know, spend $10,000 on a 200 horsepower motor. Um, so in my own car, my goal was to make like a seven, $8,000 motor that you don't need, you know, to spend another six grand to make your car able to handle it. And, um, I was seriously, you know, besides with what's going on in the world today, um, I had my car ready to go and go test at the racetrack to see what it would do. But I built a 2180, um, with a cam and rocker combo that isn't supposed to work together. And it's had experimental ported heads and a little bit higher compression. Um, and I was going to take it down to the track. I took my dad, like I said before, he was a top alcohol funny car driver. Uh-huh. I put him in the passenger seat, took him up and down the street. And he told me that it was almost too fast for the street. But I'm not using anything, you know, otherworldly in the car. Um, I've been experimenting over the last 10 years just trying to find this perfect sweet combo, which should have about 150 to 155 foot-pounds of torque. And that's at 5,800 RPM. So you don't have to rev the thing up to 9,000 to get your power. Um, you just, you know, put your foot down and go. You know, I talk a lot. <laughs> Some of the people listen to the podcast, they know that I'm into Type 4 motors. I, I, I've got a couple of buses, and in my split window that's come, that'll be coming out hopefully this year, that's got a Type 4 motor in it. And I've, once I switched to a Type 4, I was sold, and my philosophy behind a Type 4 was like, hey, it's mostly German parts, and they're torque monsters, and people confuse torque and horsepower and think they want all this horsepower when I'd rather have a truckload of torque because torque is what pushes you onto the freeway super quick. Torque is what pulls the grades when you're driving and makes that hill seem like nothing, and torque is like that that seat-of-the-pants feel that you get. But Oh, yeah, that that's what throws you back in the seat. I mean, you know, I'm on all these forums, and people are, hey, I got this, you know, 196 horsepower at 8600 rpm and i'm like well when you're on the street i'm like i don't understand where you're going to use that because you're never going to make it to that you know when you're putting your foot down um and how you know how fun is it to drive when you got to you know ramp it up that high and it sounds like your motor's going to blow up um you know going down the street so no i'm a big fan of torque over horsepower for sure now do you guys make the hydraulic uh hydraulic lifter setups for type fours as well no, no. I mean, we build type, we build type four motors. We build uh, stock type four motors, and you know, I'll do them solid with some performance stuff in them. I'll do them hydraulic. Um, you know, my, mostly I don't get into a ton of, of type four. Um, like I said, besides the stock rebuilds um, of the different, you know, of the different sizes. Mostly people are going from eighteen hundred eighteen hundred to two liter right. um, dual carbs, and uh, you know, a performance cam. And, you know, that really gives it, you know, a giddy-up, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the the Type 4 is just, they've just been known. It's like the like the big blocks of the VW motors, you know. It's, it's the one that's got your torque, and you're not wringing its neck. And I've never been, you know, when I dynoed a few of my bugs, you know, going to a, I think <clears throat> people, <laughs> there's this concept that people have that have never drag raced their car, to exactly how long a quarter mile is. It's never seemed longer than when you're behind the seat in your car. You know what I mean? And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other concept that I think people don't understand about RPM 
is if you've ever sat in your car while you've dynoed it, it's not a comfortable feeling. It's different like when you're driving, the wind's going by and all that stuff. When you're sitting static and you're wrapping that motor out and you're getting it up to 6,500 RPM on a dyno, it's an uncomfortable situation because it feels like the thing's going to grenade, but it, it's this concept where that's really what the motor's going through when you're driving it like that. And from a longevity standpoint, I don't care who you are, there's no motor that's going to live bouncing off 7,500 RPM all day long or 6,500 RPM. And, and, that, and keeping that motor in that sweet spot of 5,500 RPM I think adds to longevity and if you're getting your torque curve before that you're going to feel because people they they wrap the motor out because they're chasing that power you know what I mean they're chasing that pull of the camshaft and and if you've got your power band that's set outside of your engine limitations you know it's it's not a recipe for longevity so I think most of these people that think this if they do the research and go and go drive a car that's got more torque than normal you can sell them on torque but torque's really always been for me the sell which is why years ago i switched to doing type 4 motors like in my cars because i drive buses i need torque yeah of course i and my buses have 2.6 liters in them i mean they're you know they're not they're they're big type 4 motors and I don't run crazy compression, so I don't need to fifth stud, fifth stud the heads. And I I use these like because these are big bricks. I'm, we're pushing through the wind, and I like torque. And I I I'm not a big like ring its neck kind of guy, you know. So yeah, I think that's that that's the primary difference to me. But I mean, the Type One motor is it's still a great motor. And for street bugs, I mean, we're going to, we're going to be building a street bug coming up here to give away uh, at the end of the year for let's talk dubs for our podcast. And we're going to be building a 67 cow look like a classic and it's going to be a garage build. So we'll probably put a nice motor in that. Like, you know, maybe a two liter sub two liter motor, dual carbs, like a nice torquey motor, but you know, for street cars and, and little putting around, man, it's, it's just nice to, it's nice to have a good solid motor. And then when you're driving them, like when you want to daily drive these cars, eliminating valve adjustment, I think is a huge thing to some people, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, especially because, you know, you look at the, you know, a little, how old are you quizzes on Facebook and they show a, uh, uh, they'll show a choke and say, what is this? And people don't even know what a choke is. <laughs> people don't know what points are. Um, yeah. and when you say, did you, I mean, even though we send things with our motors that say what to do, I'll have a still have a you know one out of twenty guys call me a year later going, God, this thing's just running rough, blah 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 blah. I go, Oh, did you do a valve adjustment? And they go, What do you mean? And I go, What do you mean? What do I mean? How many miles are on there? Fifteen hundred? And you haven't done a valve adjustment yet? They go do a valve adjustment. It fixes every single problem. The thing runs great. Right. So it's still a forgotten thing to do. Um, you know a lot of times and it's something that's that's super hypercritical especially in newer motors as things are breaking in you got to get the valve adjustment right and so to those people out there that are listening i know there are some people that were in the scene before that got out and they got back in a huge demographic is is our age group from their late 30s to their early 50s that's a huge demographic of our of our group and some people remember seeing the people selling hydraulic lifter motors and o-ringed motors and all this other kind of flash in the pan stuff but if people are still wanting hydraulic lifters for a type one they can go to mofoco and get it and you guys stand behind all that stuff and you guys have years and years of experience specifically custom making hydraulic lifter setups that are reliable and guaranteeable for your daily driver 
Yeah, and back to the you know longevity talk with these street motors, and we'll circle all the way back to the cylinder heads. That was my dad's number one uh, goal with making these heads was to increase the cooling because obviously in an air-cooled motor, the number one thing is to keep the heads cool because that um, you know lowers your chance of detonation, and that's the biggest thing that's going to give you performance and then also you know keep the thing running for a long time because the original heads and especially the type four heads like you know about Mm -hmm. the number one failure was dropping seats and uh grenading valve guides and things like that now let's uh, we made our heads let's answer a question the dropping seats was caused by poor casting bad manufacturing or overheating the heads both (laughs) oh really so it's a combination of all those things yeah, I mean, I mean, a, a couple of the different like Type Four applications were better than the others. Um, it wasn't really the the casting itself, more than the, the way that the heat could get out of the casting. Um, and then in the Type One heads, you know, when when you're taking a head that was originally designed, you know, in the beginning for 40 horsepower, sure, they jacked it up to 56 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to try and take the same head. With the same combustion chamber, you're going to weld up all this different stuff and then try and, you know, eke out 150 horse. You know, that would be unheard of in a, an American car application, you know, tripling or quadrupling the horsepower and torque. You know, the motor would explode. Um, and that's what people were doing for so long. And, uh, and all they were doing was, you know, uh, upgrading and modifying the original casting, which worked for a while. Um, but it still never gave you a seventy five hundred thousand miles out of the thing. Right. Um, and so that's why my dad decided, hey, you know what, we're going to, you know, increase, uh, you know, we're going to add strength over here. We're going to put more material over here. We're going to add, you know, 35 percent more fin coverage um, than the original head. And so when we did that, he did all these tests and I was in high school when he originally did this. So I wasn't privy to, you know, every last thing that he did. Um but over the years, I, I learned how to, you know, build, and I learned how to build the heads. And then about three years ago, I decided to take on some upgrades of myself, along with my, um, with my guy that works here that builds our heads now, um, who has worked here on and off for the last 25 years, and he's built American car heads and, you know, Volkswagen heads. And so we decided to, uh, you know, add some material around so when you bore for 94s, it doesn't break through the fins. Right. And we uh, took out the, uh, we took out the valve guide bosses in the, uh, in in the ports. Um, We decided to get custom made guides and custom made seats to exactly our specs, uh, all made in the USA, um, for increased flow and increased strength. So Um, and then we also. Your guides are further sunk oh, in. Your guides are further sunk in, so you don't have to cut through the guide to port the head. Right. Well, that's the key with our heads is that you don't have to port the heads at all. Oh, really? Because each one of our heads is cast with the correct port already in it. Really? Now expl- so explain that to our, guys, to our listener because that they're thinking you got to port the heads for power. Right. So we are, we are the only place that does that. So think of all the other, cause I don't like to name people sure. by names and I don't like to, you know, whatever, because a lot of people, you know, make a lot of good products. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, we're just different. And so everybody else makes basically one, two or three different head castings. And then they bring these head castings and they put them on a machine, they press start and then they port out the heads. So they got a machine, the intake ports, the exhaust ports, the combustion chambers do all this added work. What we did, which was different, is that we have our heads made with all that work already done to it. 
So when we get our heads in, we machine our heads, you know, the outside of the heads, of course. Mm -hmm. But then we just put the seats in. We do the valve job. We put the guides in. Um, we put everything together, and they're done. And the way the ports are is the way they came from the foundry. Oh, really? So there's no added work necessary. So, And you found that to, to flow enough to keep up with any carburetor combination that they want to put on there? Right. So, you know, about five years ago, I did the flow test, and so I got all the flow numbers. Then we changed a few things, and uh, we increased uh, the flow on a, on, on a few things. And then I decided to take on what everybody kept, uh, you know, asking me about was how much better do my heads cool. And I had never done the test myself. They were done, you know, like I said, you know, while I was in high school, so that was 25, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to buy heads from three different manufacturers that all had the same valve sizes and the same combustion chamber size as one of uh, my most popular heads. And then I built one motor. And I switched the heads over a two-day period. So the motor stayed with the same compression ratio, uh, the same exhaust, same intake, same carburation, same you know fuel mixture, all that stuff like that. All I did was run them with the heads on there, take all my readings, and then unbolt the heads, put the next set on, and do the same thing. And I took the head, I took the uh, the readings, um, the heat readings off our heads from different locations. Mm -hmm. So one was off of the exhaust port flange, because obviously that's kind of mimicking an EGT sure. um, setting. Because obviously, if your EGTs are good with with the same uh, fuel mixture, that means that your uh, your head's running good, uh, the chamber's running well, um, and things like that. Then I also took it. Um, I kind of stole an idea from the airplane guys. Um, I don't check readings under the number three spark plug because that's wildly inaccurate is what uh, the airplane guys figured out because from casting to casting, it changes. Um, so the best way that they could compare head castings was they would drill a little probe hole um, near the number three spark plug but in through the fins. And so I took the reading there and the other reading. And then I also did something that I don't think anybody's ever done or at least published before was that after I was done with my test run, I shut the motor off. And when you shut the motor off, obviously the fan stops spinning. And so the head gets hotter. So I would wait until the head would get to its highest temperature. And then I would time how quickly the heat would dissipate off the head. Makes sense. And because, of course, obviously you have to shut your car off every time you're driving. Sure. And so the quicker that the heat dissipates, the less your head is getting, you know, not damaged, but, you know, worn basically by being too hot. Well, but I also think um, it, it's a testament to the, to the, to the cooling fins, like how, how good they dissipate heat. Right. And so my heads across the board cooled between 14 and 18 and a half percent. So I just say about 15%, uh, better than every other head I could find. So at the timed limit, like you'd shut it off, check it in 10 minutes and your heads were cooler, substantially cooler, 15% cooler than all the other heads you tried. Right. And that's and the same thing while it was running, because I ran it at idle. I ran it at speed. Um, I wasn't running it with a load on it because I was on a test stand. Mm -hmm. um, but I, So that's why you know, people ask me what temperatures it ran, and, and the temperatures are kind of irrelevant because it wasn't a true – I wasn't driving in a car. Right, it wasn't under load. Um, right, but I was able to at least establish the difference – um, in running between the heads. 
And now, again, the other heads that I tested are not bad heads. They're not going to grenade. They're not going to fall apart. You know, they're not going to ruin your car. Mine just happened to be a little bit better. And you think, um, and you're thinking that uh, it's mostly due to the quality of the aluminum that's cast or the fin design? I mean, no, that, it's, there's it's, a combination. It's one, well, no, the, the cooling factor is 100% because of the increased cooling fins. Um, now which explain is, to me, you know, explain general, me how they're increased compared to like a Brazilian off the shelf head. Is there more you'd fins? Have to almost, if you look at the back side of the head, well, we have fins on our exhaust ports. Nobody else does. On and the they're underside. big and huge. I mean, if you look at pictures, oh, yeah, I'm um, looking you at can it also, on your website. Yeah. So if you look at the back side of the head where it says Mofoco, mm-hmm. and if you laid one head next to any other head, it's like a night and day difference. Yeah, it looks like the the stack of that second stack of fins that you have there underneath yeah. above the uh um above the the pushrod tubes. And what I also learned in this is that because again, I learn stuff about air cooled Volkswagen motors and things like that every single day and I do this every single day. Um so I know I don't know everything and there are still some things that I've never seen before, and all of a sudden, you know, that's why I never say never with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that we really learned about was that some people look at our heads and say, well, there's not enough airflow through the head. It can't cool correctly. And the problem with that thinking is is that the entire design of my head is different than every other head. So the same, you know, philosophy uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't apply. So what we do is we clear out any casting flash in between the combustion chambers because that's, of course, where all the explosions are happening and where the head's going to be the hottest. Well, I've, um, And I've noticed that in cylinder heads where I remember I was building a motor years ago with a, a friend of mine who's building off-road motors, and he was like, you know, he gets in there and files in between the cylinder heads where the castings web together and stuff like that because that – doesn't let the fins function properly to dissipate the heat because you're now bridging two fins together where they shouldn't be bridged together. And there was a, there was really a lot of cleanup work to be done, you know? Right. And in the original casting designs, you have to do that because if they're all plugged, your head will overheat as almost everybody has learned. Yeah. Now, did you guys make, put more spacing uh, or do your, do your heads, does the cooling go all the way through? Cause out here in the desert, it's pretty critical out here in the desert that, we run them cool. I mean, in Milwaukee, it doesn't get near as hot as it gets here, and you guys have the humidity to offset it. So here in in Vegas and Arizona, I mean, we're specifically focused on heat and performance because that's what kills the air cooled motors. You know, right? So so we've got airflow um, by the exhaust ports, mm-hmm. and then we drill a few holes between the intake ports, and then we completely clean out all the casting flash to where you know you can read a newspaper through it. Um, between the uh, combustion chambers because that's the most critical place is because like the intake ports the intake ports are cold because they're sucking in gas there's sure. no explosion happening in the intake ports where all your heat is is the exhaust ports and then between the combustion chambers and that's where it's critical to have that airflow and so um, we hand do that you know from here before people get it so that when you buy our heads you can take them out of the box you can just basically wipe everything down and bolt them around your motor, and there is no additional work required whatsoever. Nice, nice. And so, so for a pair of heads, I'm on your website now. A pair of your heads, six hundred and seventy-four bucks for the 
fly cut and CC heads. Like, no, those aren't out of the box. Those are, I mean, they're out of the box, but they're pre-worked for like a performance motor. Yeah, the 674. Oh, those those are the super streets. Um, so yeah, those I made specifically for uh, for stock-ish type motors, to where you can run everything with a stock setup, or you can run with better carburation and better exhaust, mm-hmm. and get uh, and get more power out of it. Like our stock heads, mm-hmm. um, our 040s, which are just the 40, you know, or 35.5 by 32 heads. Those are the score um, the score approved heads. Right. So yeah, those are approved by those are score approved, snore approved, all that stuff. And those heads flow like one thirty compared to a stock Volkswagen head that flows ninety eight. So the flow is substantially increased and you're attributing that to your your casting design inside the port. Right. So those so our ports allow for that extra flow. Um, and they're still theoretically stock. Yes, they're theoretically stocked, but they flow more. And I, and you know, this is my uh, this is my guess that I that I've never proven yet. But one day maybe I'll do tests to prove this one. But everybody talks about the uh, 009 and 34 pick three uh, hesitation. Mm-hmm. My motors with my heads don't have that. Really, and what and what do you and what do you you attribute it to? No flat spot in the my in the, in my, the my guess. Yeah, my guess is that I attribute that to the fact that our heads flow so much better. Hmm. Because the stock Volkswagen heads are choked out basically, you know, at the at the top of their flow, and um, and that lag with the 009 is because it can't get the air moving fast enough. So I used to get in arguments all the time. People say, "Hey, there's this lag," and I'm like, "Well, I don't have that problem, you know, with my heads." And I didn't know what my heads flowed at that point. Sure. Um, and then once I flowed my stock heads, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like they flow, you know, 45% better than a stock head out of the box. So again, that's just a guess that I, I can't prove that, but I know I don't have that lag when I'm when I'm building those motors. So it's pretty cool. Um, you know, how much more power you can get just by bolting our stock heads on instead of stock, you know, stock German heads or stock Brazilian heads. No, totally. Well, listen, man, when you're racing off road and you've got parameters to race within, man, it's important. If you can, if you can put a head in there that can flow better than a stock head and it's approved by snore and score, I mean, that's huge. I mean, everybody, I would think that everybody would be going for your, for your heads and your off road motors. You know what I mean? Cause on top of that, I was, like I said, I was talking to my, a friend of mine recently who builds off road engines and he was saying that the heads that they were buying, the quote unquote OEM heads that were, that they were using off the shelf, they've been dropping a ton of seats lately. You know what I mean? And it's like, they, they weren't even making it a race without dropping seats. So, um, and see, and that's the key with us is that a lot of those places you'll call up and they'll say, Oh yeah, we got a thousand heads on the shelf. I'm like, well, you know how many heads I have on the shelf here? Zero. And the reason why is because I got one guy that puts in the guides. I got one guy that reams the guides out. I got one guy, and this is all the same guy. Mm-hmm. I got one guy that puts the seats in. I got one guy that does the valve job. So he's measuring and checking. I mean, every head, every thing that you buy that we make here is custom made for you. <laughs> so so everything the, is checked. Even on the O4Os? Yes. Right, so you're, you're basically... Every single head, every single pair of heads that a guy buys is custom made by my, my one guy, and every hole is measured. Every, uh, you know, everything is double, triple, quadruple checked so that, 
I mean, you got to have the right crush on the seats. You got to have the right crush on the guides. You got to have the right clearance when you hone out the guides. If any of that stuff is wrong, your head grenades yeah. and your and your motor grenades. And we and we know that. And so that's why heads are so critical. You can't. I mean, saving thirty dollars is not worth grenading your motor. No. Saving a hundred dollars isn't worth grenading your motor. Um, and so that's why you know we are slower, and we know that, and we try to increase our our speed. But it's very hard to increase speed and keep the same exact quality going that you have. And that's what scares me sometimes about getting bigger is that I don't want to get so big that I lose control of my quality. And then all of a sudden I got, you know, 50 people that are pissed off because their heads grenaded, it dropped a seat or, you know, locked up in a valve guide. And then their $10,000 motor went to crap. So if someone orders a set of heads from you, what's what kind of timeline they're looking at? Uh, depending on, on what heads they are, anywhere between two days and like 10 days. Two to 10 Dep- days. Like I said, depending on which head it is. And really, I mean, th- okay, let's put it in perspective. So for an Amer- 100% American-made product to be made in the USA, hand cust- I mean like custom-built to order to wait 10 days for something that your intention, no one builds a car with the intention of like, I'm going to drive it for two weeks like a bat out of hell, and then it'll grenade. I just need my paint job to last for the first show, my engine to last for No one builds a car with that, that pretense. So I think if everybody goes into it, then they go into it with the, the concept of, I want to build something that's going to last. I mean, it's I don't think it's a big deal to wait for that. you know. And, and sometimes people in our current generation need to get out of the mindset of like, I want it tomorrow because – that mindset of I want it tomorrow, I want, everybody, I want it super cheap and I want it on the shelf is what forced a lot of our manufacturing outside of this country. And, and to, now in the to, current situation <laughs> of what we're in, we're everyone's paying, understanding yeah. what their $20 savings got them. Well, and we're paying the price today, but most importantly, what made this country so great was the in-house manufacturing that, that we did here, that we were able to produce something better and this constant push for a little bit cheaper, a little bit cheaper. And I think if if people, you know, if you're talking to a guy like me, I've grenaded several motors and things and you name it. I get into something, my first instinct, because a lot of us in the VW scene, we kind of get into it because we're broke and we're cheap and we don't have the money. And so we start off on a budget and it's like, okay, let me, I'm going to take my air air bath off and put a can in on there. Now I got that performance. And we start out baby steps, but over time we start to, because we love the hobby and then we move along. And I think our industry now is in a place where people that are in our, our scene are in, in an age demographic where they just need to understand. And it's hard looking at your ad to get that. And that's the reason why I'm excited that I can do the podcast so that I can bring people's attention to what you do for a product that I'd be proud to have a set of those heads made in the USA, hand built, um, you know, designed, developed and designed by, by people here and with the help of Harley Davidson. And I mean, man, you know what I'm saying? It's like, how much more, how much more proud could you be of something that you could manufacture in the USA that, that continues to promote and, push our hobby forward so i'm i mean i'm super excited of what you're doing and and uh, i'm i'm excited to bring light to it and hopefully you know it'll bring people into your doorway to to get 
you know, to get some some of this product from you because I think it's it's a great thing that you're doing it, and it's a it's a big deal to do because if you thought if you think about it today, you, you know, somebody wanted to do this, it it takes a lot of a lot of money to do it and to be able to already have these things in place that your dad did back 20 years ago and to continue to do it forward, man. That's something commendable. I think it's awesome, and I mean, uh, I I'm. I'm proud to say that 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 I know a guy who's building everything 100% in the USA, and that's that's a pretty big deal, man. So you should be proud of that. Um, yeah, I, I I definitely wouldn't be where I am without all the groundwork that my dad laid forward. You know, over the last uh, you know 40 some years before I bought the place in uh, 2012. Um, but I've definitely taken it in a little bit different of a direction than he was going to, um, because back back you know when I got started wanting to own the place i said hey you know what we need to do is we need to concentrate on building cylinder heads building engines uh building transmissions um and doing all the associated engine stuff because this is what is dropping out everywhere rather than just you know selling the parts that everybody else sells and doing a brake job and you know things like that i mean those are things that generally people can figure out how to do but you know the knowledge of what. I mean, you know, my wife asked me this all the time. She goes, why do you have to build so many of the motors yourself? And I said, well, I started when I was 12. And I'll go on a side tangent here is that I blew up my first motor in 10 minutes um, <laughs> because I put the whole thing together. And I was so sure I had everything going on. And I was putting on one last piece of sheet metal and I dropped a screw. And I thought I heard it hit the ground, but it didn't hit the ground. Yeah. It went inside the motor. And so I put the thing in the car. And I was so excited to put it in the car, I forgot to put the clutch on. So I take it back out, put the clutch on, put it back in the car, drove it out of the back of the shop, and it went dink and just stopped and wouldn't turn over again. So I took it back out, and it wedged wedged between the crank gear and the cam gear and snapped the cam in half. Ooh, yeah. And that was my introduction to building motors. Well, that's crazy. I never made that mistake again. <laughs> well, but I mean, but, uh, the, the time but that she, you me commit oh, to here. it. Oh, yeah. So she asked me, why can't I hire somebody just to build the motors? And I said, well, could Picasso hire somebody to paint the painting? Mm -hmm. Could a sculptor hire somebody to do the sculpture for him? I kind of consider myself, even though I couldn't draw a stick figure, I am that bad at art. I literally have zero, zero skill whatsoever. Um, But I consider myself more of an engine artist. And after 30 years of all the mistakes that I've made and all the successes that I've had, you can't just cram that knowledge into somebody's head in two weeks and then expect them to be able to build a motor like you build. And, you know, when people are spending five to $10,000 on a motor, I can't have the guy I just hired building that motor for the guy. <laughs> I can have them help, but all the final clearances and checks and torques and you know, I turn the thing over my hand, and there's so many things that I do that I don't even know that I do. I just do them by second nature when I'm building right. a motor. Um, I can't you, – you can't just teach that to somebody. And so that's why a lot of places – I mean, I'm sure as you know, there's not a week or two that goes by without a Volkswagen place going out of business. And yeah. that's because the owner didn't have a kid, doesn't have a nephew or niece or, you know, somebody that wants to take it over. And this isn't just, you know, this isn't the sexiest, uh, you know, job market that uh, uh, or job that uh, you're talking about uh, with guidance counselors in high school. Yeah. 
Well, you know, that's another thing that our country's gone out of is like blue collar jobs where that's where we, you know, the blue collar stuff is what makes things happen. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I mean, here I am, I'm a contractor and my guys are out there still working. Obviously we're, we're working carefully out there and mostly unoccupied houses, but we're the guys that put things together. We're the guys that assemble the things that other people can enjoy. And there's, there's been a lack of that in the past 20 years. And hopefully, you know, we get a turnaround of that and we get more, more young people interested in back to creating things individually, whether it's, you know, uh, building engines or, or, you know, machining. I mean, all, all these things that take patience, time, skill, and training that the world has convinced all these kids like, hey, go get a college degree and everything will fall into place. And it's like a lot of people with college degrees right now are sitting at home. You know, trying to figure, trying to figure out, you know, what they can, what they can do. And, and there's been a a big vacuum in this, in the blue collar society of like guys that make it happen and uh, guys and gals. And I think our country could be better served getting back to that. And it would also benefit us as individuals, as a, as a, as a whole, as a country where we're back to producing things ourselves for our own consumption, um, and I think, you know, you have more control over the quality back to kind of a renaissance period where, you know, I long for the days where you used to be able to just saddle up next to an old guy and just pick his brain about all kinds of stuff that he did because a guy had to be like you were, where he had to be able to turn a crank, machine the heads, you know, clearance the case, like do everything. Now you go to a machine shop and the one guy's like, no, no, no I just run this one machine. Do you know how to run that machine? No, no, no. I just run this machine. I mean, even today in, in right. some machine shops, it gets to that point. So, um, you know, the, the idea of being a, a Renaissance individual that just does a little bit of everything has been getting lost out there. Hopefully it comes back. I think our generation is raising our kids to be this way. So I think hopefully there'll be a resurgence to that, but but back to the heads, I had a couple questions. Now you do a four angle valve job, and we've always heard of three angle valve jobs. Why a four angle? And and did VW do a four angle originally, or they did a three angle? And what's the, what's the value there? The the four angle is only done on the on the forty twos and the fifties, on the forties and forty ones. Um, it's still just a standard three angle job, and the four angle just gives you a little bit more flow. Um, like, uh, you know, my cylinder head guy, um, his brother, his older brother wa- worked here for 25 years with my, with my dad and helped develop these cylinder heads. Now he runs his own fab shop, but he races a top alcohol funny car now, just like my dad did. Um, he actually just won, re- uh, the Midwest regionals last year. So that was kind of cool. Nice. Um, but he brings his funny car heads in those heads are like six angles, seven angles, because you want to get, you know, there's like a magic transition, around you know between the casting and the seat and then the port to get maximum flow and it's kind of unrealistic to get that many angles on you know our heads but we added one angle um on those on those two heads because of the size of the valves and we were able to get a little bit more flow and so yeah it's just a thing to you know just just an incremental improvement here and an incremental improvement there and all of a sudden you know you got a way better head Man, that's great. And and if anybody wants to check more stuff out, you've got a YouTube channel with a bunch of shop tour videos and stuff like that. So, and I've checked them out. It's super cool and and the history behind the company. Now, do you guys still have the drag bug out there or no? 
Um, no, my, my street car is kind of turning into the drag bug. Yeah. Um, like I said, I was, I was all ready to, uh, make some eighth mile passes cause I only have, uh, uh, stock one through three gears in the transmission. So for better street driving, so a quarter mile time is not going to be great, but my eighth mile time should be really good. Um, and so that's for us to keep experimenting on, um, with, you know, new things that I'm trying to do. No, that's, that's awesome, man. So I, because you build motors and you drive Volkswagens and all this stuff, what is your what's your ideal engine combo? I think well, it it kind of depends on who's driving it. Um, a good story is that uh, one of my uh, one of my friends from Arizona who has a house up in Wisconsin here uh, bought a bus for his wife, and they're in their late fifties. Um, and so he had the whole bus completely 100% redone and then brought it here and said, okay, do the engine and trans. And so this had a type one based engine in it. So he goes, I want, you know, lots of power, blah, 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 blah. So I built him a 2110, let's call it a 2110 outlaw street motor, mm-hmm. um, which has got about 140 horse, 135 foot pounds of torque. And this is a, you know, full body bus, um, not a camper, but it's got, you know, all the cool stuff on the inside. And so... I built this thing and then I brought him down here and I took him for a ride in it. And he looked at me and he goes, Roy, I'm going to be honest. This, this is too fast. And so this is just a 2110 with my, you know, roster cylinder heads, 40 by 35 and a half, a 120 cam, dual 44s, nine to one compression, mm-hmm. um, and a vintage speed exhaust. So nothing, you know, nothing otherworldly, you know, standard 009 with an electronic ignition, you know, no weird ignition. Um, and I'll tell you, the thing is and was very fast. I mean, the torque more so than the than the horsepower. Sure. Because um, when you put your foot down, I mean, this bus is just going, and you're like, whoa. So I ended up having to dial back, and I only gave her about two-thirds throttle. I dialed back um, so that when you put your foot down, it only opens the throttle two-thirds of the way. And then he goes, okay, this is perfect. This is good. She'll, she'll enjoy this. This will be fun. Mm-hmm. So... My most popular stroker motor has been the 2110. I mean, I feel like I build one of those every single week um, because instead of jumping up to a 2276, the 2110 has got the 82 crank and the 90.5 piston and cylinders. Setting it at 9 to 1 compression ratio, you can still run standard fuel. You don't need um, high octane. You don't need breather systems. You don't need, you know, all kind of, you do need a performance transmission. If you got a type one, mm-hmm. the standard bus transmission is good for it. Um, but a regular bug transmission will not hold up. Um, but with 140, you know, horse, 135 foot pounds of torque for an average driver, you know, this is as fast or faster than any modern car, um, you know, zero to 60. And it just, it's, it's just really, really nice and fun to drive. Um, and then for, you know, and then it runs about, you know, 8,000 bucks, but if you only got, you know, maybe 4,000, 4,500, you know, the 1776 and the 1914 are going to get you, you know, hundred to 115 horse with hundred to 110 foot pounds of torque. Still great car, you know, still great power. Um, and, and on those motors, and then, on those motors, are, is that, is that dynoed at the wheels or is that the flywheel? No, that's at the flywheel. Okay. And then I've got another one that's called my 1776 Street Sleeper. And I designed this thing back like about 12, 15 years ago mm-hmm. um, in my first car where, and this is a, another fun side story, 
in the uh, in I think it was 1994, Paul McCartney came to Milwaukee and played at County Stadium, and my dad, um, in conjunction with the radio station, built four Volkswagen Beetles to give away at the concert. John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Mm-hmm. And so the year I bought Mofoco, Paul McCartney happened to be coming back to Milwaukee for another concert at Miller Park. And so I still worked with the same radio station. And I said, hey, I can't do four cars, but how about we do one car? And they're like, okay. But it's got to be, you know, all stock looking. It can't be anything weird and crazy because we're going to give this to, you know, a random listener that's going to win it. Right. So I built a 1776 motor. On the outside, it looked 100% stock. I used an angled W90 cam, which is just a tad bit over stock. I used uh, our brand new 040 Super Streets, which you were talking about before. They got 37 and a half intake valves and 32 exhaust valves, ported and polished. And then uh, rejet on the carburetor, a little bit bigger main and idle jet. And then the compression ratio is like 8.3 to 1. When you drove that car, it yeah. felt like you had a 1776 with dual carbs. Really? Because my other most popular question from customers was, hey, I've got a stock motor. All my top-end stuff is good. I don't want to buy any more because I don't have enough money. But I want to. I need to buy a long block from you, but I need more power. Mm-hmm. And so I designed this so you could buy this long block. You can slap it in with all your stock top-end stuff. And now you really need to change the exhaust because the stock T-shooter exhaust is super restrictive. Yeah. So just any general header and muffler is good. But it brings it up to uh, 85 horse and 75 foot-pounds of torque. And what's the displacement on that? 1776. So that that's the street sleeper motor? Yep. And that's my other most popular motor. I have a lot of most popular motors, I guess. But And you sell that uh, motor. But this one is this. Does that motor come with hydraulic lifters? No, no. That's with the W90 and solid lifters. Okay. Do you offer that motor with a hydraulic lifter if somebody wants it? With yeah, yeah, I haven't. Uh, they're still working on the uh, on the cam card for the W90 with hydraulic, but it also works with a 100 as well. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, so that... it, it's really you know the main questions I ask people when they you know call and are talking to me about a motor, or send me an email is a how much do you have and or want to spend, and b how much power do you want. Um, and what are you going to do with it? Is it going to be a daily driver, a weekend fun, or are you just going to shows or, you know, because the customer really has to understand what they want before, you know, or at least be able to talk to me about what they want. Um, because I talk to a lot of people that get oversold on things a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's my other, you know, a kind of a point of pride that I like to, you know, talk about um, with giving people suggestions on their engines is that, it's so common for people to get oversold. Like back when we were talking about camshafts, you know, mm-hmm. they'll talk to a guy and say, Hey, put this race cam in there. Well, that's great, but it's not going to work with the rest of the combo. Um, you know, it's key to have everything match itself, but also, you know, in a 1776 motor, you don't need to buy a $400 set of, you know, tool steel lifters to put in there. Um, cause I, you know, we're doing a job right now for a guy who bought a buggy from, you know, someplace down in Texas and they did a fairly good job on the motor, but they spent, you know, $2,500 on making it look pretty on the outside. And the inside was all just, you know, rebuilt and used. And, you know, they they literally had $250 valve covers on there. Wow. And they had rebuilt heads. stock heads on a, on a 1914. 
and hundred dollar heads. And, and hundred dollar heads, and then they had a, a no no lie like three hundred dollar breather system with you know all this A and N fittings, and I mean and it looked great, but it looked great for a motor that should be like fifteen grand um, right. that's pushing out two hundred fifty horsepower. It, it was a completely unnecessary, you know, looked cool, but didn't give the customer any type of performance or longevity or or any upgrade whatsoever besides just spending his money. Yeah. And so people really get talked into buying a lot of things that, you know, they don't need um, that look pretty over, you know, that they're going to work better. <laughs> no, uh, listen, I, I, I get it. You know, people go for the flash and they go for the stuff that, uh, that look, that, that looks all dazzling that you don't cover up with cylinder head tin, but what really makes the most bang for your buck is going to be what's underneath those cylinder head tins. And if you've got the right heads, um, which that's a key component for horsepower is, is heads, you know. And so even on your big valve heads, they they still have the stock port shape, or are they slightly ported a little bit. No, no, no. So the so the O forty and the O forty ones have the same ports. Mm-hmm. Then the O forty twos have larger round ports and larger round exhaust ports. Mm-hmm. And then the O fifties have as those same larger round exhaust ports, but then they have a D intake port. And then my like cross in between is my old 50 rosters that have the old 50 castings, but use the 40 by 35 valves. Now, what do you like better, 40 by 35 or 4237? It depends on the combo, but 42 by 37 is really for big, big motors. Um, I sell more of the 40 by 35 and a half now than I used to, especially on the roster heads that I came out with a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm which it took me a while to figure out a cool name for them. Uh, but I had to do something, uh, something German because, uh, we're all, we're all German here. So right. living in, uh, you know, Milwaukee and drinking, you know, German beer and, uh, <laughs> eating sauerkraut and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the 42 by 37 heads are really for the, you know, 21 10s and 22 76s that are going to be running dual 48s, um, and things like that. Otherwise the 40 by 35 and a half, um, for street driving mm-hmm. will really take you, you know, a far distance. And that's why I use, you know, those heads in, uh, in my motor. So if someone says, you know, Hey Roy, I'm looking to build a motor, you know, my budget's eight grand and I want to build a motor that's going to be, it's got enough power to keep me up with modern day traffic. I can drive a little spirited if I want to maybe a track day once or twice a year, maybe just for fun but something I can just get in reliable starts up every day and, and feels super solid. What are they getting for that? That's going to be the 2110 that, that 2110 is just seems to be the, I used to build a lot of 22 or 2165. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's much easier to build and set the compression ratio and keep the uh, width. And that's my other, you know, um, main thing too, is when I'm building these performance motors, I'm trying to keep as close to stock width as I can for people that are putting them in, you know, 59s and 62s where the engine compartment's way smaller. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you don't want a motor that's going to be, you know, an inch wider because it just, you know, that one inch, you know, takes up, you know, two days of your time. Sure. No, I get it. I get it. So um, what else What else do you guys, I mean, anything else you wanted to touch on that you guys specialize in over there? 
that's <laughs> that last uh you know hour and 20 minutes <laughs> uh no no i mean that's that's really our our main gig i mean our main gig and, and i say this to people you know people um you know on facebook and different you know forums um ask where to buy engine parts and i tell people to buy engine parts from people that build engines you don't have to buy them from me but if you're going to buy engine parts don't buy them out of a catalog don't buy them, you know, from a place that doesn't build anything because places that build things are going to sell you what they use because they know that it works. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll put, and that's the other thing too, is that I put my engine videos when I build engines, I take videos of them. And I think that I was the first one to start doing that with my, uh, with my Blackberry. Um, that's how long I've been doing that. Um, and emailing videos to customers because people are buying, you know, spending five to $8,000, you know, two to 3,000 miles away, it's comforting to be able to see a video of your engine running before you even get it. Sure. But I used to get a lot of, you know, smart answers back from people going, oh, I'd never build that using that. I'd never build that using that. And I'm like, well, you got to think about it from my perspective. I've been doing this for 50 years, or we've been doing this for 50 years, and I've gone through all kinds of different products, and sometimes I'll have you know, like a couple of years ago, I had a problem with oil cooler bases from a certain company. And all like one out of three were leaking out of the box on my test stand. Wow. And so for the last year and a half, I went around the country virtually online and bought as many original Volkswagen German oil cooler bases as I could because none of them leak. And so... I buy parts from 20 to 25 manufacturers to build my to build my engines. Really, and that's what makes it very difficult because I don't open up one person's catalog and just write up an order and say, "Here, I'm using all these things." Um, I try and pick out the best from every company, including myself, to build our engines with. And you know, it's taken me a long time to get where I am, and whenever I change, it takes me like a year of testing on my own stuff before I'll start sending that stuff out to customers. Um, but people, you know, like I said, engine builders know what works for them and every engine builder, it's very hard to get them to change because why would you change something that works? Yeah. And it's scary when you would change something because of the liability that you have, because people are giving you their hard earned money. You don't want to have any question in your head that you're sending them something that you're not a hundred percent sure is going to work. And that's why we and I do what I do here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, you know, I put together engine kits for people um, out of what we use and, you know, long blocks and completes. I don't build short blocks anymore um, only because the liability is just too high because there's too many other things you have to do to get the engine to run. Yeah. Um, like even on a long block, I test run a long block here break in the cam and lifters, do a couple of valve adjustments, make sure it's got good oil pressure and no leaks. So that when I send it out, I can at least tell the customer, Hey, all these things are already checked. You still have to put your top end stuff on and make sure there's no intake leaks and set your timing correctly and make sure your fuel mixture is set correctly. Cause you can still grenade the motor, you know, even though I did all my stuff, right. right. You have to make sure you do your stuff, right. And that's another kind of product of, you know, our society as a whole lately, kind of what we talked about earlier on skill level is that I used to build three long blocks for every complete back in the 90s and early 2000s. Now I build three completes for every long block. Interesting. Because people want it all done. They want to get it. They want to stick it in their car. 
you know, almost everyone has exhaust and clutch. So they, they take it out of the box, they put it in the car, they hook everything up, and they go. No, that's, I mean, and I think it's more people are limited on time and they're getting a little older and they want to be able to, everybody, the VW people want to do something themselves. That no one, there's not a lot of people just want to drop a car off and pick it up done. They want to, they want to be involved to some level. And so, you know, I think they're still wanting to, you know, get that motor as complete as possible and drop it in. I mean, the, one of the first type fours that I had, I, I ordered it, uh, from Jake in, uh, in Georgia and had it shipped right to me and it was dyno tuned, ready to go. And, I plugged it in. It was it was just like you see on overhaul, and you turn the key, and it fires right up. <laughs> oh know? yeah, so yeah, you 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 got a Jake motor. I've uh yeah, I've gotten to know uh you know Jake a little bit over the years, and uh and uh, the amount of knowledge crammed in that guy's head is just blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll probably we'll probably get him on the podcast uh, one day here. But I I actually had uh, my Bull Run bus has a Raby Type Four in it, and then my Type Thirty Four Gia had a. A twenty six a twenty six fifty with Nickies and the whole it was a fifteen thousand dollar motor. You know, my first motor was a twenty two seventy and it was back in two thousand it was eighty five hundred bucks complete. People told me I was yep. cra- they told me I was crazy and I said, I, I don't think so and here I am, you know, eighteen years later still driving. No, that not motor. not with what not with what <laughs> that guy does. I mean that guy I mean I test my stuff. That guy beats the living crap out of his stuff to make sure that the customer can never take it farther than he took it and uh and um you know make sure that nothing can possibly happen after it it goes out his doors yeah no it's uh i mean you get what you pay for and you want to do your research you know i'm I'm glad that i did i I did my research when i was getting my motors and it's like you want to you want to buy something from someone who's passionate about what they do um who who can who'll take the time and explain to you why you're doing what you're doing and listen to you and maybe you know maybe get you on the right page because you know i do that in my business all the time i go out as a contractor and i have people tell me they want x y and z and then i'll take the time and say listen here's maybe why you don't want that think about this first and then go down this road and most of the time they'll go yeah you know what i agree with what you say let's just do that and they're they end up being happier because you know what happens? You get phone calls from some kid that was sitting at the gas and sip on Saturday night talking to his buddies with their bugs and their stingers, and he's convinced he needs a twenty three eighty six, and he calls you up, but he wants you know, and 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 you're there to say, you know what? Let me guide you down this path because this is what I do, and and what you really want is to be down the road eighteen years later with your friends that said that that was crazy, and you're just cruising, you're still cruising your bug. You know what I mean? And, yep. you, and it rock solid and it's, and it's still going and it's not maybe, maybe not the fastest thing on the road, but it's the one that's held together the longest. So, um, Oh yeah. We used to, we used to, or not, we used to, but we still do here and there, um, have contracts with a couple different ice rinks and, uh, parks districts around the country to build their engines for their Zamboni ice cleaners. Oh, those are VW powered. Uh, well, there's some that are Volkswagen air-cooled with single-port heads powered. There are some that have Rabbit motors in them, um, but they are, and they run on propane as well. So a couple of years ago, um, it was the, new, the guys from the New Jersey Park District, and the guy called me and said, hey, I need a couple motors. And I go, I look it up, and I go, and I haven't talked to you in like eight, nine years. So I go, what, what's going on? I, you know, I know you got like 10 or 12 or 15 of these things. And he goes, uh, can I be honest with you? I'm like, yeah. He goes, 
nothing nothing went wrong with any of them so i I didn't need anything (laughs) right and i get i get that a lot to where you know we build these things and uh you know we try and do our best job to make them you know run for a long time and I started to hear finally back, you know, over these last few years of guys that bought motors in the 90s that, uh, you know, finally want to do some uh, work on them in early 2000s. But, yeah, I get a lot of stories, a lot of, you know, because we build an average of, you know, two to 300 motors a year now. We used to be at like 500 motors a year when we had a whole bunch of builders. So we've got, you know, tens of thousands of motors out there running. And, uh, you know, it's, ni- it's nice to hear from people that, uh, that still have them running well, but mostly people that are driving them and have no problems are just, driving them and have no problems no that's great man hey i'm 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 honored to have you on the podcast i'm glad that we got a chance to sit here and talk about what you do and bring some attention to what you're doing there in milwaukee and when you go to any shows uh that you that you go to that people might be able to run into you and get to meet you and uh, see what you're out there doing we used to go to a lot of shows we had a semi-truck and trailer Wow. And we would drive all the way out to the East Coast. Um, I actually just talked to a guy that used to run uh, Super Jam out on the East Coast, and he bought a set of heads yesterday. Um, but we used to go out to the East Coast. We used to go south. We never went too far out west. Um, and we still go to some shows in Wisconsin and Illinois and uh, Minnesota because, you know, it's a maximum five-hour drive. Um, but yeah, mostly now that I've got, uh, you know, a wife and two kids and, uh, you know, the mortgage and the picket fence and all that stuff like that. Um, I don't get too much time to come out to shows anymore, but, um, in normal times, which will be uh, happening again soon, um, anybody is always welcome to come and take a shop tour and come and hang out. And I like to show people around and, um, things like that, because it's fun for me to, uh, you know, be able to show people, you know, where uh, where their stuff is made and, you know, how we do different things. Because, to be honest, I don't really have any secrets here. Um, you know, I don't have my top secret laboratory. Um, sure. You know, I do everything out in the open. And, uh, you know, I always say, hey, if anybody wants to copy me, you go right ahead. Yeah, just a guy. Listen, just a guy doing what he loves, man. And if you're doing what you love and you're able to produce that for people and see them get enjoyment out of their cars, man, there's, there's, there's a lot of gratification of that for sure. So... Yeah, the, the the best is going to pick up my kid from preschool in my in my beetle, and uh, <laughs> he tells he tells everybody that that I had to retrofit and weld in brackets so that I could put his car seat in the back seat, um, and awesome. uh, otherwise my wife said she, that I that he couldn't go in there, um, and uh, I love going to pick him up because he looks at all his friends. He goes, "My dad brought his race car." <laughs> That's so cool. Well, man, Roy, I tell you, I'm, I'm I'm glad you came on the podcast. And uh, if people want to get get at you, it's uh, mofoco.com. And then uh, yeah, from- my email address is is real easy. It's just roy at mofoco.com. Um, and so that's the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, a lot of times I'm running around in the shop, and so uh, I try to answer as many phone calls as I can. But if I'm in the middle of actually machining something, I don't like to stop because I don't want to make a mistake on anything. No, absolutely, man. And uh, any of you listeners out there got questions for Roy, shoot them to him in an email. And uh, uh, hopefully hopefully we'll cross paths sooner or later. I'd like to meet you in person. And, uh, and, and maybe one day I'll get up there and check out the shop too. So uh, – uh, yep. Otherwise, otherwise, like I said, as, as soon as all this uh, insanity is over this uh, fall, um, I'll definitely make it a point to come out by you and uh, come out to a show or something because I've got some family out there. And uh, yeah, we're going to need a vacation, uh, you know, at the end of this summer. Uh, absolutely. Let me tell you, we're doing that show in October, and I think by October this should be cleared up. So 
if if that's the case, you'll be on my list, my short list of people to call to get you to come out here and uh, and see what this uh, hope you know could be. Because of all the shows being canceled, it could be a monster. So uh, we're hoping it's going to be a monster anyway, because it's got drags, it's got everything all included. So it's going to be a wild weekend here in Vegas. So I'll for sure keep you posted on that, and and hopefully we'll see you down there for that, Roy. All right, sounds excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. And uh, yeah, it was great, uh, great talking Volkswagens. No, that's great, man. I pre- I appreciate the time you took, man. Thanks, Roy. All right, thank you. Have a good one. We'll talk soon. Well, I hope you guys liked that podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with a friend and include it in some of those Facebook groups that you're a part of and let them know where they can get some of the best Volkswagen talk here at Let's Talk Dubs. Until next week, guys. Later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a